0: Welcome to Doctor What? Doctor Where? Stories of Rural Medicine. It's the podcast exploring what it's like to further your training and practice medicine in regional Victoria. General medical practice is the cornerstone of medicine in Australia. GPs are generally the first point of contact for anyone who feels sick, which means any doctor in this field will see a wide variety of medical conditions on any given day. Advanced skills GPs, or rural generalists, learn an additional subspecialty on top of general medicine. This helps complement their skills in a regional setting where the healthcare needs might not be great enough to require a standalone specialist. In this episode, we're going to hear from two rural generalists, as well as a rural generalist coordinator and program manager. They will help unpack some of the changes in this space, as the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services has recently established a statewide rural generalist program. We'll keep you updated as more of this program is finalised, but first, let's hear from a rural generalist who is currently practising in this space. Dr Hannah Barry is a GP registrar working in Bansdale. She says the variety that rural generalism offers was something that drew her to
1: it. When I went into medicine, I was pretty sure that's the pathway that I wanted to follow. So growing up in the country, I'd had really good GP role models and got to see the really interesting mix of work that they did as a generalist. So having lots of different roles in the community from, you know, emergency work in the hospital to helping with surgery and then your kind of bread and butter GP stuff as well. So going into university, that seemed like a pretty good way forward for me. And then when I graduated, I had the opportunity to come back to Bensdale and do their community-based internship at the hospital. So that's in your first year out, you do a mix of hospital placements and a bit of a GP term as well to get a feel for it. And I enjoyed it kind of as much as I thought I would. So I decided to apply to the GP training program.
0: Becoming a rural journalist, you would have had to have studied an extra specialty of medicine.
1: Well, I'm actually still on my way through deciding what that will be. So at the moment, I'm, I'm working at two different clinics. I'm working at a mainstream kind of private GP practice and also at an Aboriginal medical centre that's run as a cooperative. So really interesting mix of um, different patient types and different presentations that I see. And that's pushed me towards considering probably doing Aboriginal health as my specialty. So an extra year kind of broadening my skills in that And hopefully that will set me up to do more remote work in the future as well. Have
0: you found some of your colleagues have been helpful in sort of figuring out what that added area of specialty would be?
1: Yes. Um, Maybe in demonstrating the areas that I don't want to go into. (laughs) (laughs) So really common specialties for GPs to pick uh, often obstetrics and anesthetics seem to be two really big ones. Um, and having had a little bit of experience in both of those and observing kind of what the lifestyle is like, I think that's helped for me to decide it's not for me <laughs> because particularly with the um, obstetrics, there's lots of on calls and busy nights and then you've still got your normal list of patients to see during the day as well. So for me, that was like a big deciding thing or. I A large part of doing GPs having that really good work-life balance and, yeah, I don't want to be (laughs) kind of (laughs) 24-7 around the clock working. Yeah, cool.
0: What are some of the factors in making you think of Aboriginal health as a specialty?
1: I guess in Australia, it's a really big area of need. So East Gippsland has a very high Aboriginal population compared to the rest of Victoria. And obviously in more central and remote parts of Australia, it's a bigger proportion of the population again. And it's also a population that we know has really, really poor health outcomes compared to the average Australian. There's no genetic reason for that to be. It's purely kind of social factors and you don't have to look very far back in history to see how it's come to the point it is today. So I think that doctors have a really big role to play in trying to correct some of those imbalances and also as advocates for the for our patients so I think there's a lot of good to be done it's also really really fun medicine so you know you're meeting really interesting people with amazing stories to tell and I just love spending you know half an hour with each of my patients and having a yarn and getting to know them and they're very um, welcoming people.
0: (laughs) Do you find that there'd be opportunities that you would get in a regional setting that you might not get to get to do in a big city like Melbourne?
1: I do think that. I know for me comparing my experiences as an intern and a resident, what I was doing compared to my peers who graduated at the same time from university as I did, I was doing how would you say it? (laughs) So I had the opportunity to do much more hands-on really. So my first term when I started working as a doctor was in the emergency department and I was doing things like thrombolyzing acute strokes and treating acute heart attacks and transferring out sick children with meningitis and that kind of thing, which you'd be, you know, three or four degrees of separation away from probably if you were a junior working at a really big tertiary hospital. So it's kind of unparalleled clinical experience but very very well supported because you have that direct contact with the senior doctors and I found them to be extremely supportive. Another thing that's been a real advantage working and training in the country is the flexibility. So I have to honestly say the hospital administration and the GP training organisation are really bent over backwards to make my training as good as it can be. So they've really given me a very good broad range of experience and they've been very flexible in allowing me to work part-time and work across different practices and that kind of thing. So I think that's um, something that you wouldn't necessarily expect to have in the city, but in the country is more readily available.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um, have you have you found anything particularly challenging practicing in East Gippsland?
1: For me, I think it's been a bit of a smoother transition than maybe for people who hadn't grown up here so if you're moving you know from the city directly to a regional area like this there might be some other challenges but for me this is my hometown and you know I'm I know the area I have lots of friends and family here.
0: Was the plan always to come back to (laughs) (laughs) Gippsland?
1: When I finished high school I don't think I would ever have anticipated being back here so probably wanted to just move far, far away and live in a big city and have that kind of experience, Um, I did get the chance to try that out. So I did a gap year and lived in Paris and then took another gap year during my degree and moved to Vancouver in Canada. So I had a few years out along the way, experiencing life outside of medicine and also life away from Vansdale. And I think just over time, doing more and more placements at Monash, both in the city and the country, Vansdale seemed to have a lot of the things available that were really attractive to me. So good work-life balance. It offered opportunities for GP training. Um, It's close enough to the city that it doesn't feel super isolated. So it just kind of became more and more appealing. And then I think the internship opportunity and being able to integrate hospital and GP medicine so early on was a really big pull for me. So it all kind of just fell into place.
0: What would you say to someone who's thinking about becoming a rural generalist in in somewhere like Bansdale?
1: Say go for it. One hesitancy I think that I had was the idea that I wasn't getting enough general experience to be a generalist <laughs> and it's taken me a while to see that no experience is wasted. So even if you've done, you know, four years of Super specialized neurology placements, or dialysis, or something like all of it is valuable in general practice because in general practice you just see and handle everything, um, and the best experience you're going to be is just by doing it and diving in and having a go. Um, I think it's a really really rewarding um, field of medicine. It's something that's infinitely kind of flexible, so I think if it's something that you're considering, it's worth just diving in and having a go and seeing where it takes you, because you kind of never know (laughs) where you might end up with it.
0: Let's now take a look at some changes happening to the Rural Generalist Program. Murray City Country Coast Training, or MCCC, currently trains doctors on behalf of the colleges. Anne Ellis manages their rural programs and explains the changes which are put in place will deliver a better training experience to junior doctors.
2: The MCCC really is responsible for training or conducting the GP training program on behalf of the colleges, that's the RACGP and ACRAM. So we normally would pick up our registrars from uh, when they've finished their intern year, they can apply then, but then their hospital year, and from that point onwards, when they do their first year of training, their second year of training with us, and they do Many of them do an advanced procedural skill year. Our involvement with students would really be about providing information. What's it like to be a GP? How is it different to practice in metropolitan and rural areas? And give them some experiences where possible um, and some opportunities to experience what it's like. But it's very much about communicating with them uh, rather than having a responsibility for, for them.
0: What would some of the advantages be of adding in these extra specialties to your GP training?
2: The advantage is that you get to practice in an area that obviously you've got a a focus on or an interest in, it's a passion for.
0: There's going to be some changes to the way GP training will be conducted in the next couple of years. Could you talk us through what some of the plans are for that?
2: Yes, as well as the Rural Generalist Program being a major national and state focus, we've also got the fact that GP training will be handed back, I say, to the colleges, the RACGP and the um, ACRM, to manage themselves. They will manage their own registrars and they will have uh, their own structures in place to do that. And so the, the regional training organisations uh, will morph into something quite different. It's very much going to be um, between now and twenty twenty end of twenty one, there will be changes made to how we go about training GPs. And an example there is there's a lot of talk around around being more local in how we conduct and look after our registrars and our trainees. And it's not just the registrars we have people on an independent pathways to become fellowed with the GP College and we have uh, overseas qualified doctors, and we have quite a few different streams of of doctors that need to be looked after out in rural communities, and the theme seems to be that it will be more local, there will be different expectations. The Regional training organisations will morph into something different, but there will always be a need for people to care for and train the, the new breed of GPs. And Rural generalism will bring about a lot of changes there too, with a focus on that with a focus on actually making sure the dollars we spend on training GPs and training GPs in extra skills, making sure it has a benefit for communities.
0: How might these changes affect someone who's either looking at studying as a rural generalist or is currently going through that training right now?
2: I think for them it's a very exciting period of time. I think we'll see, we'll see more flexibilities in place for them. It'll be very much individualised and very much the case management of individuals through a training pathway that will see them ending up in a rural community. We've got to take note of the fact that there are a lot more people wanting to work part-time and wanting to have a portfolio approach to their career where they don't work
0: You know, six or five days a week,
2: long days in, in a clinic, they might do some days as a GP, they might do some medical education, they might do some lecturing at the university, and they might do a range of different things um, within their lives, and that's, that's the way of the future.
0: Rural generalists can choose from a range of subspecialties to complement their GP training. Popular advanced skills include obstetrics and emergency medicine, but there are also the possibility to do training in other specialised areas like anaesthesia. It's also possible to sub-specialise in multiple areas, like Dr. Nola Maxfield, who is a GP anaesthetist and obstetrician practising in Wonthaggi. Her original plan was to work in South Gippsland for only six months, but she's been there ever since.
3: I've been here for 33 years now. We were coming to stay and work here for six months and never quite moved on because we found it to be a very welcoming community and a great place to, uh, to bring up our family. And, yes, the next generation of my family have come back and I've now got grandchildren in the town as well.
0: So your family's really put down roots?
3: Yes, we have, Yes.
0: I'd imagine the town as well as sort of the health care that's on offer here has changed a lot in that time.
3: Oh, it certainly has changed a lot. The town's grown. It's become much more of a retirement area but we're also seeing younger families move here as well and the health services have had to grow to, to accommodate that. Sometimes there's been some growing pains but overall it's been uh, an improvement in services for the community.
0: So you mentioned that you're an advanced skills GP that's specialised in obstetrics and anaesthesia. Yep. What made you pick those specialties?
3: Basically, I knew I was going to be a rural doctor and I'd certainly uh, done some obstetrics. And uh, coming here, it was a long time ago in a different world. And people were either in the surgical ro- roster or they did anaesthetics and obstetrics as the other skill along with uh, general medicine. So... Uh, I've ended up doing both and there's still a couple of us who continue to do those dual uh, procedural work. Today you're more likely to see people just pick one area and and stick with that area. Uh, There's a lot of ongoing professional development to do and it can become a bit more difficult if you're doing a number of procedural skills. Uh, there still are younger doctors who are choosing to do both but by and large people will choose one or another of them today because it is much easier to concentrate on just one extra skill
0: did you pick both obstetrics and anesthesia because uh, there was a need for both of them out here?
3: Yes, we actually had specialist surgeons and GP surgeons here uh, back 30 years ago who were providing a 24-hour uh, on-call emergency service, uh, something which we actually don't have today. And so there was a need for GPs to be giving the anesthetics because Many evenings we'd be doing appendicectomy, or they'd be setting a broken bone and we had to do anaesthetics for that.
0: How does adding in that anaesthetic specialty to your GP training sort of improve the level of care for the patient?
3: Yes, it does give you some skills in managing uh, people who have uh, issues with their airway, uh, with unconscious patients, so seriously ill patients. It does give you that higher level of confidence.
0: Does it mean, for example, here in One Thaggy, does it mean that a patient might be able to be treated in a higher capacity rather than transferring them to Melbourne?
3: Yeah, definitely. And before we had uh, so many emergency medicine people in uh, a specialised emergency department, we were doing those airway skills for um, emergency cases as well. We still have to. There's not always somebody with those uh, airway skills who's available. And so the GP and ESA does participate in that part of the roster as well.
0: When reflecting on standout moments across her career, Nola says it's hard to pin any down, but some of the high points have been delivering emergency services to one thaggy.
3: Oh there's so many cases it's hard to to pick one out but certainly it probably is as I mentioned the ability to deal with the emergencies that come into the emergency department and uh, being able to intubate those people before they're transferred out uh, to do that at a stage when For certain conditions, it's easier to get in and do that early rather than to wait, but also to have a healthy respect for somebody who would potentially be very difficult to intubate and to actually manage them until the retrieval services arrive and then have the retrieval people say, no, we're not touching this either and uh, we're flying to the Alfred as fast as we can, yes.
0: That level of care would improve the outcomes for the patients, getting that early care
3: yeah. Oh definitely because if you are living in a, a city, an urban area, then you've got access to emergency departments, lots of specialists. In rural communities, the community is not big enough to have a wide range of specialists so you need some people who have the a broad range of skills and can deal with most of what's coming through the door to at least to be able to do the initial management and to know what they should be tackling and what they shouldn't be tackling and caring for somebody until they can be retrieved if that's what's needed.
0: One of the key takeaways for anyone looking to become a rural generalist right now is that despite the major changes in this program, demand for GPs outside large population centres remains high and in many cases, it's hard to recruit people. Gemma Bellardi is the coordinator of the Victorian Rural Generalist Program pathway in the Loddon Mallee region. She assists with the pathways for junior doctors across northwest Victoria and says the hands-on nature and variety of a rural generalist's work can be really attractive to students and junior doctors, even though it may seem daunting at first.
4: I guess there's a bit of a catch-22 there because some trainees may feel perhaps hesitant or worried about having having that hands-on or being in in a situation where oh I may have to manage this situation but they're always supported and they're always supervised so if you if you're the type of person that wants to challenge yourself then these are the best places to challenge yourself
0: Being a Rural Generalist, there's uh, additional training on top of GP training. So how long does this sort of process take?
4: So normally, if you're looking at a standard Rural Generalist pathway, you're looking at five years from the beginning of intern year through to PGY2 year, where you'll need to look at specific rotations that you need to undertake to then be able to apply to either the RACGP or ACRM, the college. So you need to undertake paediatrics as part of that rotation, you would then pick your subspecialty. So if you're a GP that wants to do anaesthetics or emergency or ONG or paediatrics, there's many options. There's also community placements such as mental health aged care. So you would then apply for the college and you could either do your year in the health service doing your emergency or your ONG before you commence your GP training time Or if you're not comfortable with that, you can do it midway through your GP training time or at the end of your GP training time. So there's two years worth of GP training time and that's in the GP clinics and the one year of the speciality, which can be done any stage after PGY2 year.
0: What's the demand for rural generalists out in the regions? Because here in northwest Victoria, you know, there's been a pretty famous video from Kerrang. Yes, there has. Yeah, they were after a GP and they were really desperate for one.
4: What was that song? Did you want to sing that song?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We want a GP.
0: The music in this song might be familiar, but the lyrics aren't.
2: We want a GP in our town, you'd be the jewel in our crown. we so need you.
0: Northern we District Community Health in Kerrang created a music video trying to recruit doctors to the town back in 2018. They had been actively recruiting for eight months, trying to fill four GP positions without success. Then they tried this unconventional approach. We'll leave a link to the full video in the show notes, but it attracted significant attention and afterwards they received heaps of applications. Gemma says their story of struggling to find GPs is the same across the region. In regional Victoria, there's no shortage of open positions.
4: Yes, there is an extreme demand for it. You are never going to be short of a job or in need of work in this environment. And because there's such a high demand, when you get into that community, they are so welcoming of you and so supportive because at the end of the day, they want you there and they want you to be happy there and continue on within their community. So in regards to work, it is high demand and it'll always be there for them if that's what they want.
0: There's a lot of challenges moving anywhere really. Yeah, it is. But yeah. moving out to the regions, uh, yeah. it, it can be hard especially for doctors' partners, uh, perhaps their families as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And that is a challenge and it's a challenge I think referring back to your earlier question it's a barrier for a lot of people and a lot of the trainees or prospective doctors I speak to do say to me well if my partner does come here what's available for them and I think that's an important question that trainees should ask when they move to the community or move to the practice that they what can the community do to support their partner as well and I believe 90% of the time the community will work with the prospective doctor to see how they can support the partner with job opportunities or getting the family into schools that they might want to get into and also understanding that I think they would be willing to work around if the doctor did need some time for their partner to go... Back to their original town or community, I'm sure they would facilitate that as well. But as you said, it's the same for anywhere we move, and doctors can also have quite not transient lives, but they they do move and they do work around the country, I suppose, and that's all just a part of it. And but communities are generally quite supportive and welcoming.
0: What's the importance of the training regionally and, and rotations? Um, in the regions to exposing doctors to this sort of practice?
4: I think it's essential. Um, I think you see a variety of different cases that you wouldn't normally see because obviously in Metro there's specialists there. So generally speaking, if you're a GP, you'll refer straight on to the specialist. So you're not going to really see the scope that you would see if you're a GP in the regional communities. So when you're in the regional communities, you're also working in the health service and you are having to deal with cases that you normally might not see, that would normally just be quickly referred off to a larger health service or a larger hospital, I should say. And I think being exposed to those different cases actually builds confidence. I think it also builds a better scope of practice as well. And over time those fears or hesitations around how am I going to cope in these situations slowly disappear because obviously you're faced with more situations, but you also cope and you're supported.
0: With the Rural Generalist Program, there's, there's a lot of changes in this space at the moment. Yes, there is. Are you able to talk us through some of the things that are looking at being changed?
4: Yeah. So what's happening, what we're currently, we're working with the Department of Health and Human Services the DHHS who are looking at how they can create a more statewide rural generalist program. So, as I said, they've currently looked towards engaging five regional health services who also... These regional health services they've engaged also currently run the Rural Community Intern Training Program. So they already have an understanding of selection and recruitment around regionally-focused trainees... And they're just expanding upon that to get them to also deliver the Rural Generalist Program. And we're just in a transition phase at the moment, so there will be changes, but they'll come over the next year or two. And basically it's to ensure that it's a more transparent pathway for trainees and that that they're not having to basically go through multiple organisations to be able to achieve their goal. As the transition rolls out, it'll be more around being able to be transparent about what posts or specialities there are across the whole state.
0: And I understand this is going to fit into the national rural generalist pathway?
4: Yeah, so it'll be overarching. Obviously, we have the rural health commissioner who has been, was appointed... I think two years ago now, but there will be a national rural health pathway and the RACGP are currently working towards developing an education, a further education program for rural generalist pathway. Acram obviously also already have this pathway and it'll be a national pathway that they work towards.
0: And I suppose even though there's uh, changes at play in the administration of this training, there's still that huge demand for GPs.
4: There is. And I guess the other thing is as well is that even though there are changes, I believe these are changes for the better. It'll be more streamlined. It'll be far more simplistic. At the moment, and probably previously, there has been some confusion around how do I get to this pathway? How do I achieve my goal? And I think with the DHHS doing what they have done, it will be far more streamlined. You'll have contacts and people such as myself who are... My role is actually to facilitate that pathway for the trainees and for the health services and for the region. So that if a trainee does come to me, which they have and say, oh, Gemma, I'm thinking about becoming a GP, ONG, but I'm in an intern year and I don't know how to get there. Part of my role is to sit with them and say, right, what steps do you want to take? What further education do you need, and then to work with the GP practices, the health service, the regional training organisation, to try and facilitate that pathway as easily and seamlessly as possible, so that when they get to their GP training time, we're also placing them into a GP clinic that actually will be able to support them to continue on doing their role.
0: Thanks to our guests for this episode. As we said at the top of the show, we will revisit the Rural Generalist program later in the series as more details are announced in this space. This episode was part of a series of conversations with doctors in regional Victoria. There's more episodes available, including an episode where we talk to psychiatrists about the unique opportunities of working and training regionally in a specialty that can be entirely completed outside metropolitan centres. You can hear more by subscribing anywhere good podcasts are found. The Northwest Victoria and Gippsland Regional Training Hubs have commissioned this podcast to help medical students and junior doctors learn more about training and practising medicine in regional Australia. There are hubs all across the country. To find out where your nearest regional training hub is, visit the link in the episode's show notes or just search regional training hubs. And finally, This podcast was brought to you by Monash Rural Health, presented by Patrick Laverick, that's me, and it was made possible by funding from the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Program at the Commonwealth Department of Health.